good morning, church. So how is everybody's uh, 2017 going so far? Good? I mean, you're here, right? I mean, so that's a good start. I can think of no better place uh, for you guys to be to start 2017 than to be here with us. Hopefully you feel the same way after, uh, after the sermon. So, uh, we, I want to let you know, we have, if you have not been here with us, we have spent the last several weeks in our Advent series, and all of which culminated in our uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Eve services last week, which we celebrated here, and it was fantastic. I mean, so many people here uh, just had a great time celebrating the birth of Christ, and it was great to celebrate with, with a lot of you who are here today. And uh, it was great to see everybody last week, and truly hope you enjoyed some meaningful time with family and friends. And if you missed it, there are, those services can be found online, and I encourage you to watch those, because Jeremy did a fantastic job of explaining exactly why it is that we, that we celebrate. And we celebrate during Christmas because we recognize that that baby in a manger was God in the flesh. That through faith in Him, that we would be saved from the sin that had separated us from God. And that we would be restored into our right relationship with the God of the Bible. And the debt that we owe, the penalty of our sin, was eventually paid in full by that baby in that manger on a cross some 30 years later. So absolutely, absolutely we should celebrate during Christmas. Absolutely we should sing praises to God. Absolutely we should reflect on the meaning of the holiday. But it should absolutely not end there. Because what comes after December 25th? December 26th. And this year, it was a Monday. Okay, how bad is that? And for those of us that had to go right back to work, it is easy for that celebratory time to quickly become a distant memory. And before we know it, it's 2017. And it's the beginning of a new year, and life just keeps rolling on. But it doesn't have to be that way, though. You see, God never intended for His Son to only be celebrated a couple of times a year. Believe it or not, He never intended for His Son to be celebrated just once a week on Sunday either. The gospel should transform our whole life. And once we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, our celebration is unending. And the result of that should be life change. The person we were before we met Christ, we should barely recognize that person. We are a new creation. The old has passed. And the new has come. So today... We're going to look at a book in Scripture that I believe truly demonstrates that life change. That's right, I said look. Not passage, not verse, but book. I'm going to preach through a whole book of the Bible today. I hope you're ready. So turn with me to the book of Philemon. Yes, Philemon is a book in the Bible. Uh, it can be found in the New Testament. And uh, it's right in between Titus and Hebrews. So please go ahead and turn there. And once you get there, you'll notice that, that Philemon, this is Philemon right here. It's about a half a page. And uh, so you can, you can relax now because we're not going to be here all day as we go through this book. In fact, Philemon, uh, not only is it not the biggest book in the Bible, it's likely one that we often pass over. There are no major coffee cup or, or t-shirt verses that are found here. And not many people are naming their children Philemon. At least I hope not. 
But I believe that there is much that we can gain from this small letter from the Apostle Paul to his brother in Christ. So let's start reading in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Athia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from our God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive, me as, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this letter with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your own need, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we, just, we thank you, Lord, that you preserved this letter in Scripture. Or this often passed over uh, letter that uh, sometimes we don't even know or see as in the Bible, Lord. But here it is, and you preserved it. You preserved it for a reason. So God, let us let us unpack that today. Let us let uh, let me just get out of the way, uh, Lord, and let your message come through this morning. I pray that you've already been been working on the hearts of those that are here and would open them up to, to what it is that you would have and receive today. It's in Jesus' name that I ask these things. Amen. So what we have here is the true story of a runaway bondservant, Onesimus, running away from his earthly master, Philemon. And where does he run? Rome. Thinking that he's free and clear, but who does he end up running into? The Apostle Paul. And what happens? Onesimus comes to faith in Christ. His life is radically changed by the gospel. 
now Paul writes this letter to Philemon, instructing him to receive Onesimus back. Not as a slave, not as a friend, but as a brother in Christ. So a little background now to help us understand the context a little bit further. Paul is writing this letter while in prison in Rome to his brother in Christ Philemon to help facilitate reconciliation between Philemon and his runaway slave Onesimus. Forgiveness is clearly the goal here of this letter and certainly a major theme. If you recall our recent series in the book of Colossians, you probably noticed some familiar names in this letter. That's because this letter was written at the same time as Colossians and sent with Tychicus and Onesimus from Rome, both of whom are mentioned in Colossians 4, verses 7 through 9. This letter to Philemon would have also been read aloud to the church along with the letter to the Colossians. Philemon was a wealthy slave owner that lived in Colossae and his house was used as a meeting place for the early church there. Paul may have used this scenario of this letter being read to the church in Philemon's house to help persuade Philemon to do what was right. The message of Colossians, it would have been fresh in their minds as this letter was then read. And if you recall from our series in Colossians, Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17 said this. It said to put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in your history, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. The Father through Him. See, if the people of Colossae truly believed these words, they would experience life change, right? And through their life change, others' lives would be changed as they let the Word of Christ dwell in them richly. As they put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, and patience. As they bore each other's burdens and forgave each other as they also had been forgiven. When I look at this letter from Paul to Philemon, I see three examples of changed lives. Lives that have been redirected by the gospel. And those three examples are Paul, Onesimus, and Philemon. And I want us to take a moment and unpack these examples of life change. First, there's Paul. Paul's the human author of this letter to Philemon. And if you don't know who Paul is, he is his clear depiction of radical life change in scripture that we have. His story gives us hope that there is nobody that is beyond the reach of God and no heart that is too hard to be softened by the gospel. Paul's name was once Saul and he was a persecutor of the early Christian church. The book of Acts chapter 9 tells us that one day on the road to Damascus where he was headed to further persecute believers, the resurrected Christ confronted Saul. And in that moment, Saul's life was forever changed. He immediately began proclaiming that Jesus was the Son of God. Later, his name was changed to Paul, and he's the human author of most of our New Testament. We see him here in this letter, now in prison, for preaching the very gospel that he was once against. 
not just literally in prison, but a prisoner for Christ, bound to him in all that he does. Christ is his life. So what do we see in Paul in this letter that reflects this? First is prayer. Paul spent time, spends time in prayer for others. He prays for Philemon, for his ministry. He expresses gratitude in his prayers to God for the work that Philemon is doing. Paul recognizes the importance of prayer. His life is marked by it. You know, I don't know about you, but if, if I were in prison, I would likely be praying that God would get me out of prison. Dear God, get me out of here. It is cold and I don't like this with the food and these people are not nice to me. Get me out of here. But that's me. We're talking about Paul here. Paul is others focused. Almost every letter he writes, he's mentioning how he is praying for others. Next is love. Paul demonstrates how love acts when he appeals to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. Paul was an apostle. He was the reason Philemon was a Christian. He could have commanded him to take Onesimus back, but yet for love's sake, he appeals to him. He also, because of his love for these two men, worked to facilitate reconciliation between them. As the most spiritually mature person in this situation, he recognized what forgive others as the Lord has forgiven you actually looks like. And he was facilitating it. That's what spiritual maturity looks like. Finally, Paul did what was right. Paul's personal desire was to keep Onesimus with him. There's clearly a bond that Paul now has with Onesimus as he calls him his very heart. And he'd love for him to stay, but he knows that the right thing to do is for Onesimus to reconcile with his former master. Paul lived out Galatians 6, 9 here, which says, Let us not grow weary of what is right. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Paul could have easily said, I'm old. I am in prison. I am much higher ranking than Philemon. Onesimus sends his regards, Phil. Uh, but I can really use him here with me. So peace. Uh, but instead, he chooses to do what is right. Even going above and beyond, offering to pay any debts that Onesimus may have owed. And that's Paul. The next example of life change that you see in this letter is that of Onesimus. Now, we don't know a ton about Onesimus other than he was once a bondservant of Philemon's that had apparently run away. It's possible he had stolen from Philemon as well. Needless to say, the relationship was damaged. Just a quick note on slavery here. Slavery during this time was an integral part of the social and economic world, almost like work is for us today. We know, oftentimes we can apply some of those messages on slavery to our to work today. But much different from the slavery we think of in the United States that was a social injustice. The slavery of this time was not racially based and slaves came from many races and backgrounds. It's estimated that in a town of Colossae, a third of the population may have been bond servants. People often would sell themselves into slavery and the idea of being free was actually worse than remaining a bond servant because they were well taken care of and being free would lead them to a life of poverty. Treatment of slaves varied from master to master, but they were often highly valued. To lose one would not be good, and the punishment for a runaway slave would have easily been death. Now, we don't know why Onesimus ran away, but barring a radical life change, he would not desire to go back. Considering that Philemon was a Christian and a slave owner, it's less likely due to unfair treatment, but possibly due to having more freedom, which allowed him to take from Philemon and run. 
Slaves from the area of Colossae were actually known for being unreliable and unfaithful. By the providence of God, though, Onesimus somehow meets Paul in Rome and is saved. He becomes a brother in Christ. Whatever Onesimus once was, bondservant, thief, runaway, he is now something different. He had experienced life change. Now, what do we see from Onesimus in this letter that shows us that? Well, he returns to Colossae to seek forgiveness from Philemon. He had acceptance of mentor in Paul, brothers in Christ that truly found him useful in Rome. But God called him to make it right with his now brother in Christ, Philemon. This is where knowing biblical truth is one thing, but applying biblical truth is a whole other. It's one thing to admit our sin. It's another to own up to them and to make our wrongs right. But remember, Onesimus is no longer the same man. He's now a new creation in Christ. And he now understands what Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. There it says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self and its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. You see, Onesimus had experienced life change. We know from Colossians 4 that Onesimus returned to Colossae. Onesimus knew though that Christ was a game changer and that he had nothing Lastly, we'll look at Philemon. As I stated before, Philemon was a wealthy slave owner whose home was a meeting place for the church. He was also a leader in the church of Colossae. It is clear that Philemon is someone that had experienced life change through the saving work of Jesus Christ. He came to faith through Paul, and now we see Paul commending him for his faith and his love. This is not just a personal faith that he keeps to himself, but one that he shares with others. We see some of the practices of hospitality is loving. And as Paul says, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now I read this and I began to wonder, you know, what, what does that mean? Was, some, was he somebody who was really encouraging? Uh, was he, did he bear others' burdens well? Was he one of those super joyous guys? Uh, did, he, did he have that sort of infectious faith and just, everybody just loved to be around him? Whatever it was, it appears that Philemon demonstrated a true love for his faith family that grew from his faith in Christ. In this letter, we see Paul encouraging Philemon to do something that can be pretty difficult, to forgive someone that had hurt him. If you have ever had someone run out on you or steal from you or hurt you, the last thing you ever want to do is welcome them back or welcome them back into your home. This would, have, I mean, this would have been difficult for Philemon. I mean, Onesimus ran out on him. You know, this was a valuable person to Philemon. And he just left and possibly stole from him. This would have been not easy for Philemon to do. And a lot of us recognize that, right? But what Paul reminds Philemon of in this letter is that he would not be welcomed back the slave that ran away and possibly stole from him but a brother in Christ, a new creation, someone whose life had been completely changed. 
He even explains to Philemon in verses 15 through 16 that this may actually be part of God's sovereign plan. In verse 15 it says, For this perhaps is why he has, was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. So what happened as a result of this letter? Did Philemon forgive Onesimus? Did he free Onesimus and send him back to, to help Paul in Rome? Unfortunately, there is no letter to Paul recorded in the Scripture, no return letter to give us a definitive answer. But when you consider that Philemon allow, uh, <clears throat> allowed this letter to be preserved, circulated amongst the churches, and be here in our Bibles today, that strongly suggests that Philemon did as Paul requested. Considering what he had just heard, in the letter to the Colossians, considering that he was known for his love of the saints, considering that Paul was confident that Philemon would not only be obedient to what he was asking, but that he would do even more. I believe that Philemon responded as only someone whose life has been changed by the gospel could respond. So as we enter into this new year, I know that there will be resolutions made uh, and attempts to make changes in our lives. Maybe it will be to lose weight and actually start going to the gym. <clears throat> Maybe it will be to stop cussing or to not speak, to spend more time with family or start being on time with things like church, maybe. At the end of the day, though, these are just attempts to modify behavior based on our own efforts. What we see in the lives of the people in this letter is true life change. True life change as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ. We see Christianity in action, not just in word, but in deed. Each of these men had their lives radically changed by the gospel. They understood the effects of a baby born in a manger that would later die on a cross and it instituted a radical change in their lives. At some point, Jesus Christ met them where they were at and life change happened. They put off the old self and they put on the new. None of these men were special in any way. Prior to that meeting, Paul was a persecutor of Christians. Onesimus was a useless, runaway slave. And Philemon was just a guy from Colossae. And each of them were used for the glory of God. These men were changed. They recognized how glorious it was that Christ had redeemed them. That he died the death that they should have died. That he paid the penalty for our sins. That rising from the dead, that he had conquered death and restored us to a beautiful relationship with and they proceeded to live in gratitude for that act of grace. They put on, as God's chosen ones, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. They bared with one another. And if one had a complaint against another, they forgave each other, as the Lord had forgiven them. And above all these, they put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And they let the peace of Christ rule in their hearts, to which indeed they were called in one body, and they were thankful. And there was no Jew, no Greek, no slave, no free man, no black, no white, no old, no young. Christ was all 
question for us today, church, is, is have we experienced this kind of life change through faith in Christ? Have we experienced the kind of life change that, that leads to these attributes, that leads us to put on compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience? Have we put off the old self? Or do we still let the old self kick it as a thing we kind of like the old self a little bit? Are we putting on the new self and allowing that new self to be renewed by the Word of God daily? Let me tell you that there is a way to that type of life change and it's through faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't, you don't know about that, if that's something you're exploring, or even if you just want to know more, know him better. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Find me, find Jeremy, find Brian, uh, find a good Christian brother that you know knows the word, and seek those answers. Seek that kind of life change. Seek to put off that old self and to put on the new. That's my prayer for you today. So let's pray. Father God, Lord, we just uh, we seek this, this sort of life change, Lord. These examples of these men, Paul, Onesimus, and Philemon, Lord God, what great examples they are of people that have been radically changed by the gospel. Or that have come in contact with you and have been forever changed. God, we see that. We see that for you today. Lord, help us, to, help us to put off the old self and to put on the new self that's being renewed by you daily. God, let that, let that be our goal. But not some, some little uh, New Year's resolution, Lord, that we're going to forget about and leave. Lord, let our resolution be this, this type of life change through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. Thank you, Lord, so much for, for what he has done, for what you have done, Lord, on our behalf. Lord God, thank you for paying the penalty for our sin and redeeming us. You are truly holy and glorious, and we are grateful. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. What a beautiful book. More precisely, a beautiful letter. And I want to thank Patrick for, for unpacking it so faithfully and just pointing us to the main point of the text. A few, about a couple months ago, we were going through Colossians. I kind of set up that Patrick was going to preach today and wanted to prepare any time for to look into another series. But also, I like to give guys opportunities to preach. I mean, you don't need to hear from me all the time. You need to hear from our other faithful elders. You need to hear from other people outside of the church. And, when I gave uh, this text to Patrick, um, he was like, really? Philemon? But, he, but he, he took it, and he was faithful with it. And it's another example that every single book of Scripture is God's Word to us. And this little letter, what's so powerful about this little letter, is that it was accompanied with the letter of Colossians to the Church of Colossae. So you have the, the, the letter to the Colossians going to all the people. But this is one letter that has a specific name on it. It's going to Philemon. 
And it's going to him specifically because Onesimus was his slave. And when we're, when we're looking at this and saying Onesimus was a, a runaway slave, dead in his sin, well, guess what? Paul's reminding Philemon in, in a roundabout way, and even so not roundabout, hey, you were once dead in your sin too. And you may not have been a bond servant technically, but you were a slave to your sin. You were a slave to your former life. But now you are born again. You are free. You are a new creation in Christ. So when you receive Onesimus back, you're not receiving a slave. You're receiving a brother in Christ. See, that's the thing that we have in common in this room for those of us who are in Christ. Either Jew or Gentile, or slave or free, we were all one in Christ. Regardless of our sin, skin color, regardless of what country or state we're from, regardless of our socioeconomic backgrounds, the thing that unites us is Christ. The one who unites us is Christ. See, salvation is not a resolution that we make. Salvation is a gift that we receive by grace through faith in Christ alone. And what we're going to do now as we come to, to this table to receive these elements is, is we're going to reflect upon the grace that we have received in Christ. The grace that has been so lavishly placed upon us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The grace that we have received by faith in Christ. Uh, a salvation that we do not deserve, but we rejoice in. So as we come to the table today, what we want to do now is prepare our hearts. And this table is open to anyone who has received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you have not received Christ as Lord and Savior, repent of your sins and believe in Him today. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. So call upon Him today. If you do have questions, seek one of us out. We'll be happy to answer them for you. Just sit down and we'll work through them. But what I'm going to ask you to do is to prepare your hearts to receive this table. As Paul instructs us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we are to, to examine ourselves before coming to the table. We do not want to take it in an unworthy manner. One, if you are a non-believer, do not come and partake of these elements. But if you are a believer in Christ and you are harboring unrepentant sin in your life, take time before you come to this table to repent of that sin. Take time right where you're at. Repent of your sin. And then come and relish and Give praise to God for the grace that He has put on upon you in Christ. So if you would now, let's pray together. Take time as long as you need to, to, to pray and prepare your heart. And then just come up, take of the, the cup, take of the, the bread, and go back to your table, your, your seat. Take it with the family, take it by yourself. As we take it together as a church, you don't have to wait on me to, to go through and take it. I may take it before you, you may take it after, but we're going to take it as you, as you come up. And then after we're done, the man will, will kind of lead us in a song of praise. We'll continue to sing the gospel together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the faithful preaching of your word. Father, I pray now that as we come to the table that we will remember what you have done, the price that was paid to your son Jesus, and Lord, that we will continue to look ahead and long for the day when you will return and you will make all things new. It's in Jesus' name we pray.